channels his inner redneck. Um, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm also one of the pastors here on staff. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've been going uh, in a series through the book of Romans, and today we're starting a new chapter. And uh, as we begin, uh, he starts off ver- chapter 5, verse 1, with this word, therefore. And therefore, you always ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? And it's there to reference back to what he's just talked about. So we're going we're gonna to kind of jump into this thing real quick here. We're not going to give much time to... Uh, you know, just talking about. We're going to jump in. Uh, we actually have some time here at the back end of the service uh, just to spend time worshiping and responding uh, to, the, to the Spirit as He's leading us. So Paul says, therefore, and, and he says, therefore, in light of Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, which Romans 1, 2, and part of 3 is about, hey, we're all a mess. We need salvation. We all have this problem with sin. We have an unrighteousness problem. We're we're facing judgment. The end of chapter 3 and all chapter 4 talks about, but now there is a a way out. There's an escape. There's a salvation from this. And its salvation is by faith through grace and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his blood on the cross, and his resurrection. That's the essence of it. Justification is really what Paul says, hey, you can be justified, saved from all that I've written about in chapter 1, 2, and most of 3. So he gets done explaining justification and and faith and what faith is and and this act that Jesus has done for us, this saving act. Then he gets to chapter 5 and he says, so therefore... Since we have now been justified by faith, so he's starting to summarize again what he's just talked about, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So what he starts to do is he starts to jump into the benefits of justification. What does justification do for us? I mean, obviously, he's already talked about a lot that he's done, but he starts to expand on this idea of, hey, when you are justified with God, this is what starts to happen. And he starts by saying, you have peace with God. Peace with God. You know, I I was recently talking to someone, um, not in our church, but they talked about this journey uh, that they had with God and and how there, there was things in their life they didn't want to deal with and they knew God was saying to deal with it. And it went on for months and years. And they knew and they, they talked about how there would be sleepless nights because they knew what they had to do. They, they would talk about how it would haunt them during the day and there would be guilt or there would be shame or there would be conviction. All these different things that were just haunting and, and really disrupting their life. And then that moment came and they talked about how they finally knew. They, I mean, they knew all along and they finally was so bad And life was so difficult that they just finally confessed. And they finally relented. And they said, what was so amazing is that in that moment, the peace of God came. Which was so ironic for them. Because they said, why is it that the peace of God was not there that whole time I wasn't, 
being honest and confessing. And yet, in that moment when my life just kind of blew up and those around me knew who I was, I finally had peace in here. And there's this peace that comes with God. The, the war's over. The fight's over. And, and peace, it's interesting. Paul writes about peace, and, and peace is a, it's a truth, right? But peace that he talks about is a peace. The, the war is over. There, there's no longer any conflict. There's no longer barrier. But peace is also this thing that's to be experienced. It's not just something that's on a piece of paper that says this is the truth. It is that, but it's also something, this is something to be lived out. God talks about in in Philippians, he says, my peace is something that passes all understanding. Like, it goes beyond what you can think. It'll blow your minds, my kind of peace, trying to even get your brain around it. And he says, not only is my peace beyond your understanding, it passes your understanding, but it also guards your heart. Which I think is interesting when you think about the peace of God in these moments, when he especially he's talking about justification. When we come to that moment, when we're before God, we're at our absolute most vulnerable moment, right? Which in reality is where we are the whole time. But for us, it's a scary moment when we realize, oh, we're not that strong. Oh, we're not that great oh, wow, I can't save myself. Oh, wow, I need forgiveness. Oh, wow, if everybody knew everything about he knows. You know what I mean? Like, you're so vulnerable. You're so open. You're on the ground. And he says, my peace comes, and it protects. And I love that picture. His peace comes in our most vulnerable moment, and it says, and he says, look, my peace, which patches understanding, will guard your heart and will guard your mind. And so even though we are so vulnerable and so broken and so open, his peace comes and it guards us. He says, I got you. I have your life. I have your heart. So God comes, he justifies us by faith. And Paul says we have this through grace, the peace of God through grace, the grace in which we now stand. There's an objective place that each person is that is true no matter what life is saying or going on around, that we stand in this place of grace. And as we stand in grace, these things start to come to us immediately. His peace. Standing in grace is a position. It starts and it carries on through the rest of our life. It's, there's a beginning... And then there is a continual standing every day, day after day. And we stand in grace. What, what does grace look like? It's, it's that story of that guy. Imagine Jesus is here because he did this often in the New Testament. He would go to somebody's house. Imagine he went over to your house after church today. I mean, that would be amazing, right? It'd be terrifying and amazing all at the same time. Because you wouldn't know what was going to come out of his mouth. And, and it could have been something 
amazing and healing. Like, he'll, he, he, you look at the New Testament stories. He'd see somebody go to their house, and he'd say, yeah, I see this about you, or, you know, why aren't you walking? And he'd heal them, and it was just always the, the thing they needed the most. And imagine Christ coming to your house today, and he talks about the thing you need the most. That'd be scary for some of us. That'd be awesome for some of us. And imagine it, receiving the thing we needed the most today from him. That movement of Christ is grace. Him coming to us. Him being at your house today. Him with you even right now. That's grace. And we stand in grace this whole thing is standing in grace. And he says, as we stand in grace, his peace comes. His peace with, which passes understanding. And a Christian who, who doesn't have peace is a Christian that is probably wrestling with how to stand in grace. If you've lost that peace from God, where are you standing? Are you standing in grace? Because standing in grace comes right back to this truth of this is who I am, this is who God is, this is what he's done for me. And receiving, and that, it's so like basic and yet it goes so deep. And, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes in life you find this where it's like, how did I get out of that? How did I stop standing here in grace? And you almost have to step back and go, okay, what, what is going on? What is happening that has pulled me out of this place where Christ says, I'm standing in grace. Like, I've, I've stood here, I'll stand here the rest of my life. And, and how did I stop standing here? And I'm not talking about losing salvation and all that stuff. And you can have theological conversations. I'm just talking about standing in grace and somehow we forget how to stand in grace. <clears throat> So Paul says one of the first benefits, or one of the benefits, he doesn't say first or second, he just says, hey, this is what happens when we stand in grace. The peace of God comes. That stillness, that quietness, that safety. He also says this, and he says, and we rejoice in verse, uh, second part of uh, verse 2, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So when we stand in grace, there is this rejoicing. The word is actually exult, or exult, E-X-U-L-T, exult, which is to boast, to brag about something, which is interesting because before Christ, all we would think about was ourselves, and we would brag about ourselves and the pride that we had, and look who we are, and look how great we are, and God strips that away from us, and so we have nothing to boast about, and then he says, no, I'll give you something to boast about, me. And he says, and, and the glory that is to come. See, when we stand in grace, we, we catch a glimpse of the glory of God, which is interesting because back and in Romans chapter 1, we didn't want anything to do with the glory of God. Paul says, we exchanged the glory of God for images made to look like mortal man or women, birds, animals, reptiles. Like, we didn't want anything to do with the glory of God. It wasn't that great. That's what Paul said. We were against it. And then he, he goes on, he says, actually in chapter 2, he says, or, or chapter 3, he says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So somewhere in there, it becomes an awareness that, once, you know, there was a time when we didn't want anything to do with God and his glory, then all of a sudden we realize, 
oh my goodness, we fall so far short of his glory. And we start to become aware that actually his glory is something we want. And now he's saying, and God does this amazing thing when we stand in, in his grace, he changes it so that we become these people that all, all we want to do is just talk about his glory. And we can't wait for that day when his glory will be revealed. There's a, there was a moment when Jesus' glory was revealed. They call it the, like, the Mount of Transfiguration, which is such a huge word. But it, what happens, Jesus went up there, and, and there was this moment where his glory, which has been basically he set it aside. It didn't mean he stopped being glorious. He just set it aside. He restricted it so that it wouldn't be shown. Otherwise, it would wipe everybody out. But there was a moment where his glory was re- revealed. There was a couple of his disciples up there, and, and they were like blown away. And they said, dude, let's build some, let's build some huts. Let's, we'll, we'll get, and I, I imagine they're starting to gather sticks, right? And like, we can put some huts here and we'll just hang out here on the mountain because we just saw the glory of the Lord and we're not going anywhere. And Jesus is like, yeah, you guys didn't really think this through that far. We can't live up here. Like, there's nothing up here. That's not the way this works. But that's what happens when you encounter the glory of God. You want to build something to hang out in and never leave. And he says, those who stand in the grace of God, all they can think about is that day when God's glory will be revealed and he'll set everything straight. And the longer you walk with God and the longer you stand in grace, the deeper that boast, that yearning for that day when everything gets set straight and the world will see his glory, it just grows. It does. It's hard to describe, but you start to look forward way more to his glory being revealed. It's a work he does, and it starts even as we begin to stand in grace. And he says, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our suffering, because suffering produces character, or perseverance, and, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, if you've heard this passage or read this passage, it's familiar to you. But if you've never heard this or read this, what in the world? Like, where does this come from? Like, it's out of the blue, right? Paul all of a sudden just jumps into suffering. Like, we're, we're talking about peace and we're talking about glory. And then the next thing that happens when you stand in grace is he turns your suffering into something. Isn't that interesting? Like, why that? Well, if you really believe the Bible was written by God, this phrase is something that Jesus knew you would need to read. I would need to read. We rejoice in our suffering. You know, he's called the suffering servant. That's one of his titles. He came here and he suffered. So he knows what suffering is. He's, he's kind of seen it. He's been through it. And he says this, those who stand in grace rejoice in suffering. It doesn't mean we go and look for suffering and ask God, would you bring suffering? It doesn't mean we stay in suffering if God is offering us a way out. Hear me on that. But when suffering comes, he says, those who stand in grace rejoice in suffering. 
I wonder, as you look at this, and as I've been reading this, if we truly embrace God's vision for suffering for those who stand in grace. Because what he gives is a vision. It's, it's not only this is the blessing that comes from those who stand justified, stand in grace, but there's a vision to this that he talks about. And his vision is this. He says those, that when suffering comes, it, it produces in those who stand in grace, it produces perseverance. This, this I can stick with it. I can stand. I can stay, endure. Why? Because I know what perseverance will then bring. It'll bring character. And actually, if you were someone who read Greek, heard Greek, talked Greek back in the day, the word is actually metal. It's a metallurgy word, right? So it's a word for what we talk about when they purify precious metals. You heat up the precious metal and, and on the top the impurities come and you can watch them skim it off. So he says this word character, they immediately think of the metal worker and that process. And he says, those who stand in grace rejoice in suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance pr- produces character. And the character he's talking about, the, the purity is us becoming like Christ. Our character becoming like his character. And we rejoice that our character becomes like his character. And then we rejoice because that character even produces more hope. We already have hope, but it produces more hope. Why? Because God's working in us. He's leading us towards that day. His kingdom is coming in here. He's transforming me. He's transforming you in the darkest night of your soul. In the valley of the shadow of death, God is moving. And hope grows. I don't have to panic. I don't have to fear. I don't have to run around whatever, scared. I don't have to control. He's at his best. Well, he's always at his best. But he does some of his best work in the valleys, in the suffering. Some of you right now are angry at God because of the suffering you've gone through. Uh, the suffering that you're going through. Or the suffering that you've seen others go through. Uh, there's a whole section when you talk about how do you defend the faith or how do you talk to people about our faith. There's a whole category of questions that always come up, and it is the problem of pain and suffering. If you listen to Robbie Zacharias, a, a famous, uh, what you call a Christian apologist or philosopher, you listen to other famous Christian philosophers, and, and they do Q&As. You know, one of the top questions that gets asked at every symposium, every open mic, is how does a loving God allow suffering and pain? 
It's a very pertinent question. And it's something that needs to be answered. And we don't have the time or space to answer that question. And I, that's why I'm saying this, though. I, those, that pain or that anger, Israel, and, and, and it needs to be worked through. And not in a cavalier or trite, you know, let me give you a little soundbite answer. But if you stand in grace and yet you're still angry at God about suffering and pain, there's a, there's a point to grief. There's a process in grief. I think we're all aware of that, where grief at some point, there, there is a, a piece of anger that comes into that as you work through grief and sorrow and suffering and pain. A- anger's going to come in at some point. Anger's not bad. It isn't bad. But when we have anger towards God that is sustained beyond that process, bitterness, anger that becomes now unrighteousness starts to creep in. And it really becomes a block, a wall between us. And, and God can handle our anger when it's part of that process. And God can handle it. He can handle it all. But if we stay in that process, it will begin to destroy this grace in which we now stand. And, and we begin to say, no, I can't accept that grace from you because I can't accept your vision of suffering. You know, theologically speaking, we live in a fallen world. Genesis 3 talks about that. Because of sin, we live in a broken world where bodies break down, sickness happens. This world is filled with sin, and so we see sinful things happen. People hurt people in tremendous ways. I mean, I don't, it's almost every day now we're seeing shootings, right? It's almost every day you get on and you see the way our politicians, our news media treat each other. It's just awful. It's just horrible, the things we say and do to each other. And that is this world that's fallen. We, we have an enemy, Satan, and he's real. And he would seek to destroy your life and to steal joy and to steal grace. Now, those are the things that all go into this conversation about why is pain still there And this hope that we have is the hope that one day God will redeem it. He's given us redemption now, and it is the promise of a full redemption where he will not only redeem us and our bodies, he's going to redeem this world. It's going to be a new body that we will be given in a new world, but not yet. But not yet. And it's hard, it frustrates me when we hear messages from Christian leaders who say that you won't have to suffer if you follow Christ. You'll have your best life now. And they mean by that no suffering. It's just false. It's just a lie. Paul says it. It's right here. God says this. When, when he's right in the beginning of talking about the benefits of standing in grace, he says, when suffering comes, it's going to happen. 
It's not like you're going to get a free pass or I get a free pass. When suffering comes, listen to my vision for you. I want to share with you my vision. My vision is suffering's coming, and what it will do is it will produce perseverance. And you will understand what it means that I'm a persevering God. And it's going to produce character, and you will understand the purity that I am and how I want to make you like me. I want to make you like me. That's my vision. And you'll understand not only that it produces character, it produces hope because it's going to put in you a desire for one day when I come back. Don't stop looking at the future. And this is a hard ask. I'm not asking you this. There's no woman or man on this planet that asks this of anybody. You can't. Only God can do this. And when you stand in grace, part of standing in grace is your whole life is oriented now to a new way of thinking. And a new person, a new allegiance, a new plan, a new vision for your life. And this vision is, uh, this vision is so radically different than anything in this world. And it's so hard to preach this message because after 16 years, there's, there is a sacred privilege that comes from hearing so many stories of suffering in this church. Like, I look around this room, who, who is not untouched by suffering? I know so many stories of suffering in this room. Somebody this last week just wrote me and said, I've had 20 years of sciatic pain, back pain, and I'm thinking, what comes to worship every week? Worships her Lord. So many of you suffer, and yet you're here this morning standing in grace. I want his vision. Right? You want his vision. Some of you have lost loved ones. So many of you have health problems. I don't know. Family problems. You suffer. And yet you say, He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. Though he slay me, right? He is worthy. You just stand in his grace. He's worthy. Give me more perseverance, Lord. I love what Paul says next. He says, this hope it's all we got, right? I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, we're holding on to this hope. And he says, and this hope doesn't disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for like a goody-two-shoes, self-righteous person. Like, who's going to die for somebody like that? They're just punks, right? For a good person, you might die like somebody you really respect, somebody who's good, somebody like who's worth dying for, you'd do that. But God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord. 
circle this verse. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Circle this verse. Point arrows to this verse. This is where you see now God the Spirit come on the scene. We have the Holy Spirit. He. He's not an it. He's a he, right? He's, he's a person. He has personality. He has full personhood, just like Jesus, just like the Father. So we don't call the Holy Spirit it. We just call him. Him. Spirit. Counselor. I mean, if you're old school, it's the Holy Ghost. And he comes, and we have the Holy Spirit. As we stand in grace, the action of the Holy Spirit is, and I don't know whether it's just over us or in us or both, but what does he do? He just pours out what? Love. Just pours out love. Pours out love. What kind of love? This love that, that dies for even the ungodly. And he goes on and he says, you know, if we have now been reconciled, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we save from God's wrath through him? For if when we were reconciled to him, we were his enemies, right? Or for, I just messed that wrong, I gotta get it right. For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death. How much more now shall we be saved or reconciled to him through his life? I just butchered that verse. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. So what kind of love is this? This is a love that comes to an enemy and says, I love you so much, and I know you hate my guts. I'm going to save you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to redeem you. And, and it's not only this, that like he died. His life now is this reconciled, what pulls us in. The act of the Holy Spirit is one where we stand here and he says to you, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of the nights when nobody's there, in the middle of the day when, when it's just you and it's impossible to talk to anybody about the sorrow and the suffering, and you know what he says to you? I love you. 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 And he pours love. And just when you think he's done pouring love, he pours love. And just when you think he's done and all out of love, he pours love. And he keeps pouring love. And he keeps pouring love. And all he says is just, just stand in grace and let me love you. Let me love you. That's all I want to do. I just want to love you. I love you. And I don't care how manly you are. You need that love. I don't care if you wear plaid shirts and that's all you ever wear. Because you're manly. You need that love. I don't care how womanly you are. And how strong you are or independent you are as a woman. He loves you and you still need it. He still loves you. And when you go through suffering, that's about all you, you can handle. This is like, that's, Lord, I just, I don't know what else to do. Would you love me? Would you just love me, Lord? 
You have those moments where he just talks to you and says, I love you. I love you. And somehow we mess this all up and we get all confused and we think it's something more difficult than just standing in grace and just saying, Lord, I need you to love me. I don't know what your love language is. God does, and I don't know if he does it that way. I don't know. You get all messed up. All I know is the Holy Spirit is in you, and he loves you. He loves you. The kind of love that dies for enemies, that kind of love, the kind of love that says, I'm, I've pulled you close. I'm alive, and I'm, you're here. I've reconciled you. That's standing in grace. This morning, as we kind of transition here, um, some of you are still angry at God. And I think God would have you maybe just drop your fists. Maybe for a morning. Just drop, drop this. Drop that. And, and maybe just, just say, Lord, I need you to love me. I don't know what to do with all my questions. But what if you just dropped it? All the resentment, what, what you have against God, your ought. Because of suffering and pain, whether yours or somebody else. And maybe just stand in grace and let him love you. I, I don't know if some of you are fighting against his vision for your life when it comes to suffering. And and for some of you, that could be a very painful thing, a painful journey. I mean, for me, I I had six six weeks of it, and about the fourth or fifth week, I realized, you know, I, I can't keep going this way and just justify how short tempered I am, how impatient I am because I got back pain. At some point, I've got to start I knew this passage was coming, but it's all easy to preach it when you're not suffering. It's a whole different thing to live this out, his vision, and to go, no. Perseverance produces character. There's a whole lot more stuff down there that needs to be purified than I thought. And all it takes is is some pain. And I'm a different person Really? And maybe for you it's saying again, your vision for me, Lord. I'll take it. I'll stand in your grace. I'll rejoice in your hope. I'll receive your peace. I'll embrace your vision of suffering. I'll embrace 
your love. As some of you, if you have not only been angry at God, but you have led others down that path to be resentful or to have resentment towards God, um, you need to be very careful. That's a very dangerous thing. We often want to do that. We want others to support us and, and to not to be alone in what we think. But it's a dangerous thing to begin to lead other people to be resentful and angry towards God. I would just encourage you to pause and consider whether you would say that to somebody else and how you would lead them. I think what God wants to do is, is actually speak to you this morning. Um, these things are God's love. It's uh, profoundly spiritual, right? It's mystical. It's true, and yet we're supposed to experience it. God's peace is true, and yet we're supposed to experience it. Um, and this is something to be encountered. And I, I believe what God would want to do today it is for you and him to, to, to meet and to talk and to experience again his love, the Holy Spirit pouring his love on you, the Holy Spirit pouring out this peace that comes through Christ's love, his death on the cross. So we're going to take some time here and do that. Um, I'm going to give you room to talk to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Melissa, if you want to come up, let me just pray. Lord, you know each story here. You know, Lord, what, um, you know our hearts. Before there's even a word on our lips, you know. Holy Spirit, you you need to comfort people and you know who they are and, and you need to challenge people and you you are God you know everybody's heart and we just release your ministry right now just release your ministry